Hey everybody, welcome to the Beautiful Shifts podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Chantel. We're so excited to share with you some inspiring stories. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now it's easier to walk. I can see the road before me. I am not afraid. Thanks so much for joining us today. So we're so excited to have you listen to our podcast with Lindsay Munns. Um, We just wanted to do a little update on her episode. So we recorded her episode back on September 27th. So on that day, there was a hurricane happening in Florida and Lindsay was joining us from Florida. So when we reference a storm and different things about getting her house ready, there's no hurricane or storm in Florida right now. Um, We are so very grateful that Lindsay took the time to share her story with us. And it's a beautiful story, and I think it's something that you guys will all enjoy as well as be educated. I'm grateful for her sharing her knowledge and her story with us, and I think that you will enjoy it too. Anyway, well, thanks so much for saying yes and being willing to come on the podcast. Well, thanks for for thinking of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just grateful through the storm that you've (laughs) taken a minute to visit with us. Yes, thank you so much. That's crazy. And I hope everything is okay there. And that, yeah, I think, you know, we just, we get a lot of rain and wind and like little tornadoes. So it's not like as bad as being in Tampa, but I mean, stuff can still happen. So yeah, yeah. just want to be power prepared. lines can go down and all that kind of stuff that we, we worry about the power going out and all that, but we have a generator that will help with that. So oh, nice. Hope That's it, good. Hope it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, all right. Well, um, yeah, I was just going to explain how we know each other, Lindsay. So we went to high school together and, um, you were a great older than me. And I feel like yep. you and your friends were all just like really cool. And I think me and my, oh. you know, we kind of knew who you were, but anyway, it was, so we kind of knew each other through that and then yeah. connected. I- because you were the younger cool group. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, you look up to the older girls and anyway, so, and then but then like, I guess we just connected on social media after graduation and stuff. And then we found out, or I found out she was adopting twins and I was pregnant with twins right around the same time. And then we yeah. were on like the same twin mom group on Facebook together. So I feel like we kind of connected through that and reached out to each other yep. through that whole thing. Cause having twins is a big ordeal. It's a new ball game. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. So anyway, it was really fun. I feel like we just kind of got to know each other a little bit better through that. And then, yeah, yeah when we decided this podcast, you were on my radar for sure. Cause I know you've done, you've just had a lot of, um, interesting transitions and you're doing some amazing work, um, oh, around awareness. You. So we'll get to that, but I just wanted to give that yeah. little background there. So, um, okay. So I will read your bio you gave us. Um, Lindsay Munns is a parent advocate for FAS, FASD, um, which stands for fetal alcohol syndrome, right? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Oh, spectrum disorder. I'm sorry. I should yes. have known that in advance. Um, no, a lot of people don't know that. So yeah. Okay. Why we need awareness. Exactly. No, that's so yeah. Okay, good. Cause it's this. yeah, I love the spectrum. It just like helps us understand and visualize you know, the yeah, different... it's, it's like autism or it's like can be right. mild to severe. So some people are very high functioning that have this disability and others on the full FAS, you know, right. Okay. Are very extreme. So there's everything in between. Yes. Okay. 
Um, she attended the University of Utah, where she got her degree in community policy and consumer studies. She also studied education and received her TBRI practitioner's license from Texas Christian University. She is a wife and mom of four, including two on the FASD spectrum. She currently lives in Orlando, Florida with her husband and four kids. In any free time, she enjoys reading and being around the water. So, thanks so much. Yeah, what is, oh, just to clarify, what does TBRI stand for? Yeah. That stands for Trust-Based Relational Intervention, and it's a form of trauma therapy. Um, okay. And it works really well with um, kiddos and families that um, have kids that come from hard places. So, a lot oh, that's of really cool. adoptive and foster parents use it, um, but it's also... A good way to parent in general, I've found. Oh, <laughs> that's wow. awesome. That's really cool. I hadn't heard of, heard yeah. of that either. So, that, I mean, I've heard of the fetal alcohol, but I didn't. And I, I do like that description of being the spectrum because I think so many things are that way. And we think everything's so black and white. But to give yeah. kind of like, and because you probably have to treat kids kind of a little bit differently all along the spectrum. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. Um, and I was wondering, so did you receive that practitioner's license kind of like after you had your kids or was that before? Yeah. So I, you know, I had been hearing just from like FASD support groups that it was a good thing and it was helping their families. And so I found a practitioner locally, but my kids don't do very well in the car because it's a sensory overload and Mm. sensory processing disorder comes with um, FASD a lot of times. And so, you know, it just didn't make sense to get in the car, drive 45 minutes, have an hour appointment, drive 45 minutes home. Um, so I just decided to get my own <laughs> practitioner's license oh, cool. so that I could be my own resource, um, for our family and then, you know, help others as well with it. So, oh, nice. um, I got it after, after I found out about it more and thought, yeah, this could work, but I don't want to drive once yeah. a week. <laughs> and, you know, so yeah, that's why I decided to go do that. And it has been great for our family and, and I've been able to do some trainings and help others. So it's oh, that's good. really cool. It's awesome. awesome. All right. Well, we like to start off our interviews with you just sharing like a fun or interesting fact about yourself to help us and the listeners get to know you a little better. So do you have anything to share? Um, that's always a hard one. Cause yeah. it's like, what, what do people think might be interesting or fun? Um, <laughs> anything. I, I mean, I feel like, um, I've had, um, a million different job experiences and career experiences. And, um, you know, my last big one was being a flight attendant and I got to work for corporate at the airlines, but, um, I, you know, I've been in a crash landing. I revived on my very last flight that I worked. Um, I, um, revived someone from having a heart attack, uh, oh, midair. Wow. Oh, wow. So I, That's those were kind of some yeah, fun and scary experiences that were, kind of fun and then it also made it easier for me to be like all right I'm done flying let's yeah let's I move bet. on yeah. <laughs> so and that's intense um, yeah that I've, I've had a, I've had a few literal crash landings in life so wow that is crazy and you probably got to travel a lot being a flight attendant is that kind of what drew you to it or yeah I mean I had already been traveling quite a bit um just with the job that I had I worked um, for a surgeon and he was very lenient and then when he was going to retire, I was started looking at other jobs and was like, 10 days paid off vacation. That's just not going to work for me. I mean, I was still <laughs> single and traveling was kind of what kept me grounded. Yeah. Um, 
So I just thought, well, how can I travel? And that is what led me to look into becoming a flight attendant. And I went for it really just to get out of Utah, to be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I felt like I needed to leave. I I felt strongly that I needed to get out of Utah um, for myself at that point in my life. And so I just felt like it was a ticket out of there. Out of there. Um, so did you grow up in Utah? I guess we could talk about I where did, you grew yeah. up and kind of some things I, in your growing up years. Yeah, I grew up um, in Sandy, Utah, and I was not um, a member of the religion that is very you know prominent out there. And so growing up, being kind of the outsider, definitely, you know, have some feelings about that. And, you know, I converted when I was 16. Um to the church and I I do like how I made that choice on my own versus you know being raised that way um I think it makes a difference in how I look at things and view things and um but growing up it, it wasn't always easy um not being on the inside I guess um But I had just one brother, so didn't have a big family. And, you know, uh, my parents are awesome. And, um, yeah, I just, you know, I feel like I had a pretty boring but really good childhood. Like, Yeah, sometimes boring is good. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, like I I have nothing to complain about. So um, very lucky. I did a little bit of cheerleading in high school. And, um, but I was ready to be done with high school and, and move forward. So. I went to the University of Utah, and and yeah, it okay. was a pretty uneventful childhood, but a good one. Good, <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. And so you're in Florida now, Orlando, you said? Yes. Okay. Yes. Where did you, oh, you, you're married and you have four kids. Where did you meet your husband? So we got set up on a blind date. Um, he is was born and raised here. He actually attended um, college in Utah, but we never met, and so... He was back working in Florida as an attorney, and when I was flying, I was living in Colorado at the time. Uh, It was January, and I was excited to come to Florida because it was warm here. And so I had put something on Facebook, and one of our mutual friends that he had gone to law school with was like, you've got to meet my friend. I think you guys might like each other. And I was like, whatever, okay. (laughs) And then I really did like him, so... Um, then, then we spent my flight benefits going back and forth and meeting up places and dated long distance and until we got married. Awesome. Cool. All right. Um, so maybe we'll kind of jump to the portion of getting to your transition or with you, there's kind of multiple transitions we're excited to get to. So, um, what was going on in your life kind of leading up to the transition? I mean, you, you know, got married, maybe you can kind of lead us to that point and what happened from there. So I, like I said, I instantly moved to Florida, like literally a day or two after our wedding. Um, and you know, that was a transition that I don't think that like, you know, a lot of people get married and move away, but like, I didn't realize looking back how hard it might be to like leave all of my family and friends behind. And I just figured it would be really easy to hop on a plane and see them whenever I wanted. Cause that's how I had been living my life as a flight attendant. It was just really easy to get anywhere. Um, so I just, I didn't realize how hard that would be. And then, you know, we started the adoption process, um, because the doctors had told me not to have a pregnancy because of my health. And so we started that pretty early on. I mean, like six months into marriage because everybody said like, you know, you're going to have to wait a long time. And, you know, I got married a little bit older than 
a lot of people I know. And so I was 30 and, um, you know, we didn't want to wait too long. And so we jumped right into that adoption process and it was uh, kind of scary when you start seeing the situations come through of, you know, what these children are exposed to and where, you know, where they're coming from. And it did kind of scare me a little bit to the point where I was like, oh, I just, maybe I just want to have my own kids and not adopt, um, which they are my own kids. So that's, you know, but that was my thought process back then. So we, we, we tried to get pregnant, um, and immediately became pregnant. And then we also got a call that we were matched, um, like literally within the same week. And so I, I, I was like, well, um, I just found out I'm pregnant, so I don't know. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter if you're pregnant or not. It just matters if you want these boys or not. And these are the twin boys that we adopted. And, of course, we wanted them. So we just said, okay, we'll have the phone call and we'll just leave it up to God. And, um, you know, we did get matched with the twins. And, you know, I was pregnant as well. Obviously, my birth mom was further along in her pregnancy than me. So the twins came first. So I was like four and a half months pregnant when the twins came and we got to go out to Arizona and be there for the birth. Uh, Our birth mom is just amazing. She wanted to make sure that we were the first ones to hold them and bond with them. And um, I'm really grateful that she recognized that need probably even more than I did because, you know, it's my first child. They were my first children. And so I didn't realize how important those skin to skin and those bonding moments can be. Um, so I'm really grateful that we got to be there for that. And then Joshua was born, um, three months later to the day. Um, he came early, um, and we almost lost him. So it was kind of like an emergency situation. Mm. Um, so we had, you know, three babies within yeah, a couple almost, months yeah, of each other. Triplets. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, everybody thought they were triplets when we would go out. Um, yeah. and we just, you know, we had a, we had a lot of fun with it. We were tired, but we're definitely more tired. We're more tired today than we were with three newborns. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's because we've aged or if, I don't know, but they're giving us a run for our money, but yeah. So we, we had a blast with our three musketeers. Mm-hmm. Um, Cute. And they're all boys. And they're though, yeah, they're all boys. And then we had a little girl fifteen months later. because um, okay, I so. just figured well, I well figured we're involved. not napping. I mean, yeah, like <laughs> it was hard for me to be stuck um to a nap schedule, to be honest. I mean, I'm used to like being on the go and wanting to go out and do things and so that was one reason we you know, one of many reasons we decided to go for another one so quickly. Um, is because we wanted to be able to just get out and do things and not be stuck at home with little ones um, while everybody else was out and about. So we wanted to have one more, but we we then entered um, symptoms of FASD, and so you know we feel like we're t- we're done and we're full as a family. And yeah. what um, age yeah. did that happen? Um, well, we started seeing symptoms as early as eight months, but. Um, the, you know, a lot of the doctors don't learn about this in their curriculum. And so, um, they kept telling me everything was normal. And I mean, we basically, I don't know if you've heard the saying first, it's who, you know, and then it's what, you know, um, there was just one weekend that was really hard. And we were like, you know, everybody keeps telling us this is normal. I'm like, this doesn't feel normal. This is really hard. And these symptoms and they were more behavioral and, um, you know, self-harming. 
And so, you know, I would see my, from between eight months and two years old, one of my sons was smashing his head into the concrete like daily mm-hmm. over and over. And he had like a permanent goose egg on his head. And I have doctors telling me it's normal and he'll grow out of it. And that's just not what I saw. It's not what I felt in my gut as a mom. Um, I was definitely dismissed, um, by many doctors. Um, so we finally, you know, had a friend that worked at one of the hospitals here. And next thing you knew, I was on the phone and, you know, into a specialist and we went through all of the testing and just trying to figure everything out. And the doctor, one of the neurologists that we got connected with sat me down and said, have you considered, um, the possibility that they may have been exposed to alcohol. And right when she said that, like the air kind of went out of me because it was kind of like my rose colored glasses came off. Mm. Um, because like the birth mom's story should have kind of put that flag up for me, that red flag up for me. Not that red flag that we wouldn't have taken them. Of course we would have taken them, but just, I would have been a little more prepared and knowing what to do. And, um, but we were able to get confirmed alcohol exposure, which we're really fortunate to have an open relationship with our birth parents, both the mom and the dad. Um, so we were able to get that confirmed alcohol exposure, which is um, somewhat crucial because a lot of states won't diagnose it without that confirmed exposure. Mm. So um, we are really lucky that we were able to get that confirmation from them because she and she didn't do it on purpose. And I think that that's one of the biggest things there's so much stigma attached to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder because it almost is like placing a blame. But what what many people don't realize is, you know, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. And so, yeah, she drank until she found out she was pregnant, but Mm -hmm. it was like eight weeks in. And so, you know, that's a lot of time for the central nervous system to take on whatever alcohol she drank during that time. And you know, there's no safe time or amount or type of alcohol. And you've got doctors out there telling them it's okay to have a glass of wine here and there. And there's more that plays into it. I mean, um, not everybody who drinks while they're pregnant is going to have an FASD. So that's one thing I like to always say. Um, but genetics play a role. Um, stress plays a role. And I can only imagine my birth mom being nothing but stressed thinking of, you know, I've got these two babies and I'm placing them for adoption. That that's just stress. So, um, you know, that kind of like intensifies things and the chances. And then even the father, um, there are studies showing that the father's sperm, if it has alcohol in it during conception can also, um, affect the fetus as well as it develops. So yeah, there's lots of new research coming out and, um, But yeah, so we got that diagnosis um, for one of our boys when he was two and a half. And we weren't really seeing the symptoms as much or recognizing them, I guess, in our other son um, until about age four and a half. And then his started really showing up as like sensory issues. And so it's, it's crazy that twins, you know, in the same womb could be affected so differently, but uh, research shows that that's the case in all twins, not just mine. So they're very different, um, on the spectrum and, you know, with what their symptoms are, which is kind of interesting to me, you know, depending on where they were positioned and the placenta and all that. So that's so interesting. So your one boy, it's more sensory issues and the other boy, 
what kind of chat like things come up for him lots of behavioral behavioral okay symptoms so and you know kind of fight or flight or freeze type mm. stuff um so yes. lots of just you know just destruction and um raging and melt meltdowns and you know when they're little you think that's normal but they're eight now they just turned eight and um they're big <laughs> their their birth dad is very tall he's like six five so oh wow they're they're big boys and um you know we have luckily found we knew what we were dealing with i don't a lot of people don't get diagnosed properly or at all so 80 percent of individuals on this spectrum go miss or undiagnosed so like Mm. we just feel really blessed that we got the right diagnosis because it does make a difference in how you handle that them and medications that they should and shouldn't take and things like that and therapies that work and don't work so having that diagnosis is definitely a blessing yeah I feel like well they're very lucky to have you guys to you know push that like something's not quite right let's find a diagnosis um well I imagine that you know the ones that don't get treated probably get it's probably hard to parent them. So you probably don't parent them like they need to. And they maybe feel shame or feel like something is wrong with them. Yeah. It leads to like secondary and tertiary characteristics, you know, like the depression and the anxiety and all those kinds of things can start to set in. Um, even when you do know, and you are dealing with it, right. The rest of the world doesn't know. So they're, they're constantly not fitting inside the world's box that's expected of them. And so, um, have a son that got as a infant got meningitis and then the meningitis caused hydrocephalus and now he you know he has shunts to kind of manage the hydrocephalus luckily we've had he just barely got barely got a shunt revision last year and they lasted like 18 years which is kind yeah. of unheard of but it, he also has a seizure disorder but when he was a child it was almost like okay so he, the meningitis is fixed and he, we know he has hydrocephalus and he has a shunt that works so he's better you know like he's okay yeah but then we would see these behavioral issues finally find some research or people that have been in your you know shoes with experiences with their own children or doctors that understand it yeah it's like so yeah. helpful and i think about how hard it would have been for us if we you know didn't see it that way is like his brain was affected he he sees things and does things differently um, mm-hmm. you know, like some of the behavioral issues would be very much like if he just had a plan, they wouldn't happen. If we, if I went to a store and he had planned on riding in a car cart, like he, in his mind means store means yep. car cart. But if I got there and we were at a store that didn't have one, it was a pure meltdown. Like we yep. had to leave the store. But if I finally learned, okay, today we're going to the mall and you're going to ride in a stroller. They don't have carts there. So we're going to bring the stroller and you're going to ride there with your sister. Then He'd be okay. We, yeah, for, for, for the most part, he was okay. And, the, you know, the meltdown wouldn't happen because he was prepared. Also with vacations, like if we have to have an itinerary, there has to be a schedule. Yeah. Um, but to not do those things for so long and like feel like, what is wrong? Why is he, you know, but it's yeah. better for him. He feels safe and he feels like he can deal with things that are coming up next. And as well as for the rest of us, eliminate some of the stress. So. Yeah. Those are, those routines and those plans, like you said, are so important for anyone with a, you know, a brain-based disability. Yeah. And so many of them are invisible, you know, and like, you can't tell that someone's disabled necessarily just by looking at them. Yeah. That's how we feel like our boys, you really wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, like you said, we parent them very differently. And that's hard because ours are all kind of close around the same age. So it's hard for sometimes for our other kids to understand why we're doing things differently um, for our other two kids. And, um, you know, they're starting to get better at understanding now that they're getting a little bit older. But that definitely has been challenging as we didn't have that age, normal age gap of like, oh, well, they're older, so they, they're different than you. And when you're this age, it'll be different for you. Or we don't really have that excuse. Yeah, <laughs> natural. Yeah. yeah. But I find that it's um, really been really good for my other kids to be more empathetic of other people and other things. Because I think, yeah, you know, and, and moms that have like, you know, just so many times I can think of going to a park or going to a store and having to just leave because the meltdown mm-hmm. was so big and feeling like a bad parent or I was doing something wrong. Yeah. But he has challenges that aren't yeah. fair to him. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't say fair. Like those are just his yeah. unique challenges. And that's probably, I mean, your kids are still pretty young, Lindsay. So it's, that's hard to grasp because, okay. So the boys turned eight, your twins, and then Josh is seven still. So he'll be, yeah. Eight. So okay. he'll be eight in like a month and a half. Okay. And so my twins are like, right in them or no my twins are in December so anyway all around the same age but I can imagine like yeah they they kind of expect the same treatment and so that would be challenging for sure but yeah I think in the long run it's so good like such a good empathy builder and um and I was curious like so because Josh is right so close to their same age you probably see the differences in like neurotypical versus you know, them that are not have a spec, the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Has that been, I mean, that's probably part of kind of what uh, clued you into it in the first place, I'm assuming, but. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely, we've definitely seen the gap widen uh, the older they get, but then there's also been like some learned behaviors too. My, you know, my other two kids are seeing us give attention to the meltdowns and the things like, you know, things like that. And so, you know, sometimes they'll try to act out thinking this is how we're going to get mom and dad's attention. And so we've had to really talk to them about that and it's getting better. But, um, yeah, I think now that they're, they're, they're at separate schools. My twins are at an emotional behavioral development school. Mm. Um, you know, I just know that the public school system can't handle them. And we tried homeschooling last year and it did, it was just a disaster. If I'm being honest, (laughs) that would be so Um, hard. So we, we, we did all right. We made it through, but like, I feel like everyone's doing a lot better now that they're back in normal schools and have that routine and structure that's good for, you know, for all of them and for our sanity too. Um, I think one of the hardest things is, um, the lack of sleep that we get in our household because their cortisol levels are, you know, really off. And so even with sleep medication, um, we only get like three or four hours a night at most. And so I didn't know that. I'm, I, like I said, I feel more tired as, um, a mom of a bunch of eight year olds and a six year old than I was when I had three newborns. (laughs) But, um, you know, you mentioned traveling and that was like one transition that's been like really hard for me because I, I love to travel. And like you said, vacations can be really hard because it is hard to plan, um, everything down to the T and they're in an, unfamiliar environment and unfamiliar space and anytime we've tried to do it like we're like we don't know if that was worth it or not you know like we don't Mm -hmm. know like 
or like maybe by like that much, maybe by a tiny bit, it was worth it. Um, and then there have been some trips where like we should not have gone on that trip, you I can know. Definitely relate to that. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that's been hard is I just figured, you know, and so did my husband that I would just be able to, you know, get on the plane with my kids and head back to Utah every couple months and mm-hmm. see my family and friends. And traveling is just not not our friend right now. So we're hopeful for the future, but, um, right now we feel very stuck, um, because it's just easier. And that's one of the reasons we moved to more land and just to try to create more things for us to do at home. Um, because we're, we're home a lot because it's just easier on everyone. Yeah. So what are some of the, I was just thinking this, like, so what are some of the therapies or the things that they have to do Um, to help them? I mean, I know what my son had to go through, like physical yeah, therapy, there's like, therapy. There's endless therapies that, you know, you can try and some work and some don't. Um, and depending on the, the child and the where they're at on the spectrum. And so, you know, there was at one point where we had 12 therapies a week. And so, mm-hmm. like, that also made my transition into you know, I didn't really have a good support system um, because I didn't have time to go meet a bunch of friends at the park for the group play date. I was going to therapy, you know, and we were going, we had it times two. And so, um, I didn't really, and still don't feel like I have a really good support system here because there's just not time or energy to make those connections. And I mean, I did, I did have some, but unfortunately Orlando seems a little bit more transitory. Um, people move here for a few years. They don't necessarily stay. Um, so a couple of my really good friends, left me one's in Texas and one's in Nevada. Um, but you know, I just, I don't have that support system. Um, and the therapies though, like occupational therapy is probably one of the most important ones for us. And that's one we'll always be in probably until we don't need to. Um, behavioral therapy is not a good fit for FASD. Um, unfortunately we tried that before we were diagnosed. We tried that on our own because all the doctors were saying, you know, it's just behavioral, like it'll, they'll grow out of it. And so we tried some ABA therapy and it, it doesn't work because people on the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, um, spectrum don't necessarily understand cause and effect. So like they don't care about sticker charts and reward charts, like they, cause they don't get the link of like, if I do this now, I get a reward for this later. They just don't, they have a hard time connecting cause and effect. So that's interesting. ABA is not a good fit. Um, you know, some need speech and language pathology. Mine have never needed it for actually, you know, pronunciating, but they are going to start taking it for like understanding. Like they can talk like they're 30. (laughs) Um, and adults just get a kick out of it, you know, but, um, do they understand what they're saying? Probably not half the time. So we will start speech for the first time, um, this year in school. So that will be interesting. interesting. And hopefully my son was similar to that as well. Like he could speak fine, but he had speech therapy more for the like cognitive, the understanding, the Mm -hmm. communication part of it. That's interesting. helpful. Where my son Asher just is in speech, but it's the opposite. He's, you know, for the pronunciation and, but they tested him for the understanding part, which I wondered because I just thought he might need both, but interesting, you know, he just needs the enunciation and some of those things. So 
It is so interesting. And he actually, Asher has done occupational therapy as well. He had, when he was little diagnosed with sensory integration disorder, he's doing a lot better mm-hmm. now, but oh, okay. in those early years when he was three, it was, I mean, he would not wear a coat in the winter. It was like, oh yeah. Oh, it dead cold. I mean, just so many little things like that. And he still struggles, but he's come a long way. And we don't re- really know exactly where that came from other than that he was a preemie and in the NICU mm-hmm. and maybe all the trauma that he had yeah. as a baby in the NICU. Um, you know, we all, were close to lose. I mean, he could have, he, you know, he made it, but he was yeah. really sick. So anyway, it's so interesting the different challenges that the kiddos right. go through, but we're so lucky. We have so many resources these I know. days. I know, but, but having two, like that would be really hard. And, and I know Asher's on the mild end of the spectrum for sensory integration. So I Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, I just applaud you for all you're doing. Uh, You know, you, you, you envision motherhood and how you think it's going to go and it it goes completely opposite. And like, I, you know, (laughs) like because of the sensory processing, um, stuff, you know, they don't, they're definitely not putting church clothes on <laughs> yeah. and they're def- definitely not putting certain shoes on. And so, you know, even just like the way I thought that I would dress my kids is different. Like I, yeah. like I have to give them the control to choose what they're comfortable wearing. And mm-hmm. like, it's such a silly thing, but like, you know, that well, you don't know you, sometimes you hear it, <laughs> people making comments and judging, like when they're dressed a certain way for church or, oh, they could at least match him. Like, well, no, because that's what he picked out and he, he made it. And we, we don't always get to go to church and that's hard. That's a hard transition, um, to not be able to fully do the things that we were used to doing. Um, and we're still navigating that and what's, the best approach on depending on the day. <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes well, me laugh. Cause my son, when he was younger, like he just, yeah, didn't like clothes very much and he'd always wear like basketball shorts, but he called them mm-hmm. his comfy shorts. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's get dressed like for school or church, whatever. And he'd be like, okay, can I wear my comfy shorts? And it was kind of like, yeah, because if I say no, if I <laughs> yeah. say no, we don't want to find out like, what's yeah, happening. It became yeah. like a family saying. So, cause we're like, of course, don't we all want to wear comfy shorts? Like yeah, all the time. Yeah. So we're like, oh, I'm going to get my comfy shorts. That was like yeah. a total thing we yep. always say. <laughs> yeah. I kind of just gave up buying, like I've, I haven't bought Asher jeans and oh, probably since he was two or three. Yeah, yeah. It's 21. Yeah. Sweats and, and basketball shorts or shocker, yeah. soccer or whatever. Yeah. And I do feel like eventually, well, we'll see. They make little strides, like, you know, yeah. small, small steps, but yeah. All right. Well, we've talked a bit about the challenges and I think you know, talking about, um, just you're feeling alone and isolated a lot. Like I'm sure that's been really difficult. Um, and even like, you know, I feel like the church community is a good, like a community that you can turn to. So that's probably hard that sometimes you feel like you can't get there. And yeah, anyway, it's just a lot. So, um, thank goodness for Marco Polo. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. true. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's kind of like my social life is, you know, I mean, every once in a while we get out, but Marco Polo is where it happens for me. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Have you found ways? So Marco Polo is a way to connect. Have you found other ways? I mean, I know you just went on a really fun trip with your high school friends. Yeah. That looked amazing. So fun. Yeah. I mean, it was the longest I had left my babies since Mm. I've been born. So Um, but it was such a well needed break. And obviously when you're with lifelong friends, um, it's always a good refresh and break, um, wish I could do it more often, but it was definitely fun. Yeah. 
But yeah, and then I think like, you know, my Instagram housing account has brought a lot of connections and, you know, um, a lot of people that I do turn to are people that I have either only met once or twice um, or just know from like support groups online. And it's amazing how, you know, I, as much as people dislike or give social media a bad name for me, it's kind of been a lifeline because it's connected me to so many supports and people that I otherwise would not be connected to. I mean, when we first got the diagnosis, I went into Facebook and typed in FASD and like found a support group with like 5,000 people in it. And, and that connected with someone out actually in Utah where you guys are at. And so like, um, I have met her in real life and we've hung out in real life, but like, I know her and I can just like Marco each other, like just complete, you know, be in a complete mess and sobbing and just like, no, I know that she's going to get it. Whereas like, you know, some of my other friends, I mean, you look at my, my Instagram feed and it doesn't look like we're struggling at all. Um, and I mean, I think that that's an important reminder for everyone is that like, just because it looks good on social media doesn't mean that there are people don't have challenges. I mean, nobody gets a free ride in life. And I think that that's one thing that I've learned through all of this is like, I mean, we all have to have challenges and, and these are ours. Um, but it's so funny how even my family and friends will be like, Oh, it looks like you're doing great. And I'm like, Oh, looks can be deceiving, you know, at times like, but we're not going to, you know, post all the bad stuff. I mean, it's supposed to be fun and positive space, at least for me. But, um, I think like, Instagram and social media has also been an outlet for me as much as I hate to admit that. Um, but being stuck home a lot, that that's my reality. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, mentioned being feeling alone. It's like a theme in some of our um, interviews with people is that's why that is so great that you were able to find a community immediately because feeling alone is just not fun and nobody wants to feel alone. No. But if you can feel like someone can understand you, you know, just a little bit, like I ended up having a friend in California whose son got diagnosed with hydrocephalus a little bit later. Um, mine was at birth. I mean, you know, close to birth, but, um, it was amazing how much like she, all her fears were like, Oh, okay. Like he's older than my son. I can see how he's progressing. I can see some of these difficulties and what we need to do. And, you know, you immediately feel, okay, maybe I can do this. Like I have some support. I have people that can have some empathy and can understand, Um, so I think that's so great that you've been able to find that community and I'm sure you help each other out all the time. And when those, you have those days where you just need to melt down and to kind of, you know, let it all out. You have someone that can be really empathetic with that and understand and probably cry right back with you. Yeah. Yeah, And I like how you pointed out, you know, social media does get a bad rap, but it is amazing for support groups and Mm -hmm. like Marco Polo, the, the, I don't know, we, you know, try to imagine a world without those things. Like it would be really hard, you know, if you were, I mean, I know yeah. I hopped on that, uh, moms of multiples page and that was a yeah. huge help for me with the twins. And so I do oh, think I know. if people, I mean, you definitely have to balance your time on it and not get sucked into all the other stuff, which it's okay exactly. sometimes, but, but yeah. it is, I think I like pointing out that there's positive there too, because there is. And like, if people aren't, utilizing it you're missing out so go find your support group yeah, or whatever they're, they're all ever, yeah we yeah. have we all have something you know if you don't yeah if you don't have it in real life and in person like it can help the next best thing and I, I do mm-hmm. think you know with the zoom and everything and everything that happened in the pandemic I think more and more 
you know, things are heading that way, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But yeah that's connect. true. Um, so what would you say, like, during your journey was maybe the most vulnerable part? Gosh, I mean, it all, you know, with each with each new stage comes new challenges. And so like, I feel like it's all very vulnerable. Um, to be honest still, I mean, we don't, we don't know how, how this is going to turn out. I mean, they might, all these early interventions and therapies we hope are helping and in some ways they have and, and are, um, but in other ways we see other challenges popping up as they grow and just not being able to, I mean, nobody gets to know, but just having a, just blaring uncertainty in our face, like Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis. Um, even by the hour, we don't know how it's going to be. Um, but we, you know, I think one of the most vulnerable times was when we decided to kind of open up and share our story for advocacy purposes. Um, that was something that took me a while to wrap my head around with, um, because there is a lot of judgment and stigma attached to this disability And then you have people saying like, oh, you know, you're talking about your kids in this light and you shouldn't be. And everyone has their opinion on it. Um, So, you know, I think like one of the very first times we opened up to share our story, that was really a vulnerable moment for my husband and I. Um, But that is the way to success, honestly, is being vulnerable. And when it comes to advocacy, you have to be vulnerable. These politicians, the school board the mayor, whoever you're talking to, and we've talked to to all of them. I mean, they don't care about the statistics that one in 20 have this disability and then it's two and a half times more common than autism. Like you think wow. that that, yeah. that you would think that those facts and statistics would be just so blaringly alarming to anyone in the, the medical field or the mental health field that, that they're missing this, they're not funding it properly based on how many individuals are living with this. They're not, you know, doing the proper prevention that needs to be done. And it really is when you share your story and you you get emotional in front of them that they seem to, to care and actually take action as, you know, leaders in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is very vulnerable, but, um, we've continued to do it and we've just, told ourselves we'll be prayerful along each way, uh, each opportunity that comes our way um, about whether or not we'll do it. Um, FASD United is the um, international organization, and they asked if our boys would speak in D.C., and that's something that we feel like they're not quite ready for, I mean, being as young as they are. Um, But, you know, we have opened up and shared, and it hasn't been received well or... um, approved of, I guess, by some of our own family and friends. And so that's hard, but we've just been prayerful about what we'll share and what we won't. And, um, so yeah, that, that feels vulnerable because it is a really fine line and needle to thread to be able to share your story without like exposing like, you know, private details about your child in a way that would be hurtful for them. Yeah. yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting balance for sure. But I love how you said, like, the only way to help these leaders and our communities make change, we kind of, we do need to be vulnerable, you know, and that's, I don't know, I think that's a really good message. I mean, but for sure, keeping in mind, you know, private details and stuff, but like, 
opening up is the way I guess that leads to connection that then leads to change, you know, because exactly. So anyway, I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that perspective and important, like for us to think about ways we can all do that in our communities, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I'm sure that was hard. It's probably not, you know, maybe makes it a little easier each time, but maybe each time it's the same thing over <laughs> again. Like, okay, it's time to be vulnerable again. Yeah. 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 Um, Don't tell my husband, I'm telling you this, but it's the best when he starts crying in front of people. Oh yeah. <laughs> because that, makes you know, it's I mean, normal. it makes such a, a big impact because he doesn't cry. But when yeah. he's yeah. talking about the things, you know, the kids that he loves so much, mm. um, he gets a little choked up. And, and for the yeah, men, he, yeah, I think sometimes. Exactly. Um, well, I don't know. I don't want to, like, make a stereotype, <laughs> you know. But it is, like, oftentimes you do see the moms speaking out for these different things. And so I do think that's awesome. Like, I've seen your husband um, do some I, what do you even call it? Like live videos or things like that on social media. And I thought it was so cool that he's putting himself out there and speaking out about it. Cause it is, it's vulnerable, it's brave. And, but it's gonna, um, get the attention of other men around, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. not always, but sometimes we women, you know, what to know, what to say, to speak to our friends and the other, and yeah, the men, mm-hmm. you know, maybe are touching some other people that wouldn't have otherwise heard it. So anyway, I think that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Um, maybe you could share with us some of your new life perspectives, um, that have come through this experience. Um, I definitely feel like, well, a, I realized I was, you know, I never thought I was judgmental until (laughs) I found myself in this situation and it just, it just, what I mentioned earlier, just realizing that like nobody really gets a free ride in life and I I don't know anybody once I start talking to them and get to know them that like is not struggling right now. I mean, we're, we've gone through this pandemic and all these crazy times and, um, the trials that have come along with that to, and kind of, you know, I guess make things even more intense for whatever's going on in people's lives. Um, I think it's just important to remember that everybody's going through something and, we probably don't know what it is if you don't know what it is. And, um, that's been really, it's been really humbling for me to just, even people that I knew in the past, um, recognizing and knowing, um, that they probably have an FASD. I mean, the reality is, is we all know at least one, if not several people that have this disability. Um, and so just kind of learning that and that there, there's all these brain-based disabilities that are invisible. And so you just never know, even if it's just anxiety, like how, how much that can affect someone and how they're, you know, carrying on in life. And, um, it's, it's made me just have a lot more compassion for others, just knowing that there's probably more underlying, like the angry checkout worker. (laughs) I mean, she's probably got something very serious going on for all I know. And I'm just going to assume that she's being rude because she's, having a hard time with something. Um, so I think it's been, cause it's definitely, there was a, you know, there was, there's some anger in this grief process. I mean, I think when you have your kids growing up and they get excluded from things because, you know, they're not the same as the other kids, you have some feelings about that. And, um, you know, just learning to control my own anger and just, you know, know that, um, there are people that, love and care for us and them, um, 
and you know not we're we're not gonna worry about the small things um I think it's really just made me thankful to um be able to parent them and learn from them um they've taught me so much patience I was never a patient person I mean I'm I would still say I'm not but I have to be (laughs) so like it's definitely like you know increase some of my um just the way that I look at everyone and everything, including myself and the grace that I'm able to give myself as a mother and the grace that I can hopefully give to others. Um, just knowing that life is hard and, um, that's just kind of how my viewpoint has changed a lot. Just realizing how much I thought I knew or assumed I knew and realizing that I don't know what's going on in most people's lives. Yeah. I love how you even pointed out, um, like the way that we look at people and their behaviors, but even to adults, I think sometimes it's easier to have the compassion for kids. And especially because so much of us are learning more about like autism spectrum disorder, which I thought it was Mm -hmm. so interesting that you said this is more prominent than autism spectrum disorder. So obviously there is kind of an imbalance in, Mm -hmm. um, the, I don't know if you would advocacy or awareness that's being, so there's that. But then I also loved how you just brought up like being more patient with the person that's checking you out at the grocery or at the grocery store, like the adult too, because adults, I mean, we're only learning about so many of these brain, you know, brain disorders or, um, spectrum disorders now. And all these people around us that, you know, maybe we labeled as, you know, Oh, anger issues or lazy or, or all these different yeah. things like they're all dealing with stuff and so I love that like compassion component that you brought in there not just with the children but with adults too you know yeah and like I I'm not gonna lie and say that there hasn't been trauma for me um, yeah. in all this as a parent and we know that trauma rewires the brain and so you have to work on that and mm-hmm. so um you know I kind of you know struggled through a lot of this and sometimes still do. Um, so it's important to, you know, that self care piece is so important. Um, and you know, you just don't know what trauma, a lot of people can go through a traumatic event and not realize that that's what's going on. You know, like maybe they get in a car accident and they think they're fine, but it was really traumatic and they don't really know what they're dealing with still. If they're having symptoms of anger or anxiety or whatever can present in so many different symptoms. And so just kind of, like I said, giving myself that grace too, knowing that like, Hey, like I'm doing the best I can, you know, cause like you don't always feel like you're succeeding in motherhood when (laughs) your children aren't, you know, able to do what the world expects them to do. And everybody, I mean, I've even had therapists in my home telling me, I'm doing this or that wrong. And they never learned about FASD. So, you know, it's just, you you feel constantly judged. And so kind of just letting that roll off your back and being like, well, they clearly don't get it. And that's fine. They're not, they're not going to get it. And just, um, you know, really understanding that not everybody's going to get what you're going through. And so you find the people that can support you when you're going through that and leave the rest out of it, I guess it's kind of what I've learned as well. Yeah. I love that. Like not only compassion for others, but self-compassion too. Cause you're go- yeah. going through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really great. Kind of, I think if we all like through our trials and through trauma or whatever it is we go through, if we can have less judgment and more compassion, then that would change a lot. Everyone would, <laughs> yeah. everyone would be a little bit better. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's kind of like, 
I think a common theme we find in this podcast too is like kind of like with vulnerability and connection and compassion, they all kind of like go together. And yeah, and it's cool people that learn to do that. I mean, if you kind of keep it in, I think, I don't know, maybe the trauma festers or it gets harder, Mm -hmm. but as we share, like, cause we can all learn from each other. And I think it's healing to talk about things that are hard. So I mean, in the yeah. right time, you know, as the healing comes. So anyway, yeah, yeah. we appreciate you sharing. Yeah, we it do. Is hard and you. it will help other people. And you never know, like, you know, if people listen to this podcast and they have a child, they're like, wow, maybe, maybe this is what my child has. And they've never been, haven't gone there like you did it for at first, you know, and then wait, this yeah. could be an issue and then they can get the help they need. The thing that's so important and crazy, um, to me is that there are over 400 conditions that alcohol can cause. And so, um, when you look at those diagnoses that fall under the FASD umbrella, you know, anyone who drank during pregnancy, like I would just ask them to, you know, without shame and with a lot of grace, like ask themselves those hard questions. Um, because, there, you know, I'll often hear people say, oh, I drank and my child's fine. And I'm, I know that their child's diagnosed with ADHD, anxiety, and depression. And I'm like, that, those are three of the top diagnoses that people get under the FASD umbrella. So, um, there's just so much to, to, to be learned about this disability as far as awareness goes. And luckily we've had some good luck in Florida, um, with legislation and awareness and things like that. And there is some federal legislation on the table right now, which we're hoping gets passed because that will definitely yeah, that's great. bring more awareness to the whole country if that happens. Yeah, oh, and that's I, cool. I go back to what you said at the beginning. I mean, a lot of women, like 50% of pregnancies aren't planned. So maybe there are women that would, you know, okay, I would not never drink if I knew I was pregnant. But then yeah. those very, very crucial first few weeks, they're drinking and they don't even know you know, you don't want them to have shame and they didn't know. And, and there are, I mean, obviously there are going to be people that are going to drink and think, Oh, my baby's going to be fine. It's not a big deal to drink sometimes, but how important it is for these kids that their parents recognize it so they can get the help they need. Get the, and, and yeah, the parents, I mean, TBRI, um, the therapy that, that I got certified in, um, and we use a lot, um, it's not about changing the kids, whereas like occupational therapy, behavioral therapy, speech language, that's like trying to change them or improve them. And TBRI is really about changing how you approach the situation as the adult, as the parent, as a caregiver, as the professional in the classroom, whatever it is. And so that change and that shift really comes from the adults and the caregivers, not shifting the kids to fit into the box. It's shifting how we treat them, how we parent them, how we, you know, deal with them, how we discipline them even. And, um, I just really like the principles in TBRI for that reason, because it is a shift of like, it's more of a shift for me and my husband to parent in a completely different way than, you know, is what would be considered the norm. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to look into that because yeah. I feel like we definitely have to, even just rewording the way we talk to my son helps mm-hmm. yep. because he's at the point now where he wants to be treated like an adult. He is one. How important that is to him and his life to feel like the oldest. And so how can we treat him like that? I don't help him too. At the same, I mean, it's hard, but it yeah. is, 
you know, be, I, I'll have to look into that more. I feel yeah. like my, my husband kind of naturally knew yeah. how to do that kind of stuff yeah. and helped me like be able to communicate with him in a better way. So that there wasn't these meltdowns or getting upset about things or, and I've really had to work on yeah. that. Yeah. I've really had to work on it. And it is, you can only change or help them so much. So if we can change or, or we can just change our perspective on even their behavior and how we talk to them, like that's such a huge part of a component of how to be with kids that have these brain disabilities for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to look into that. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, I thought it was cool. Like maybe you could share a little bit about, you have a nonprofit. So did you start this with this for the service dogs? Yeah. So, um, Oh, cool. We, it was sometime during the pandemic. Um, you know, it was, it was in a Facebook group, a mom Facebook group and said, Hey, my doctors said I could have a couple glasses of wine. Like what does everybody's else's doctor say that kind of a thing? And, you know, most people were like, Oh yeah. And there was a few people that would say, no, don't do it. And, and I, I was one of those people. And, um, I went a little more in depth just because, um, I, you know, I've been studying FASD and, I'm a trainer um, and a facilitator for the FACETS program, which is specifically created for FASD. And so um, I laid out a couple facts and just said, please don't do it. It's not worth the risk. And um, I just got reamed on Facebook by like hundreds of strangers to the point where they even like looked up my name and said that they were going, like, they were, like, making oh, death gosh. threats against me. Like, it was insane. I was like, okay. All I said was, right. please don't. Okay, well, it's not worth the, the risk, you know? Here's why. Yeah, that is the darker side. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. But it kind of just, it kind of made me realize, like, women don't like to be told by other women what they can and can't do. And, um, you know, I, I could kind of said it to my mom. She's like, well, she's like, the only thing I go on Instagram is yeah. pictures of cute babies and cute dogs. And so it, it first started out, um, my son wanted a, a dog and I had heard that service dogs could help. So when he said he wanted a dog, I just kind of jumped on it and we started training him as a service dog. And it was amazing to see how much it helped him. Whereas my other, his twin wants nothing to do with animals. <laughs> um, so that, you know, shows how different they are. But so we started training this service dog, Lucky, he named him Lucky. And I just saw how much it was helping. And then I kind of started an Instagram account where the dog was sharing the facts and information about the dangers of alcohol during pregnancy. And, you know, it was a way to reach a new audience of like dog lovers on Instagram that, you know, would know this. And then we just thought, Hey, like it's, this is expensive. It's how we, how can we help? And so, um, we just started a nonprofit and, um, we placed five service dogs, um, since we started and, um, we are revamping it right now, unfortunately, because it is a lot of work for the families, um, to do training from the time it's a puppy. So we are switching over to train and raise, um, to where they will be raised and trained for two years and then be sent to someone. So it is going to slow us down a little bit. Um, but that's kind of the model we're switching to, but I just feel like if it's something that will help individuals, I mean, there's all kinds of service dog programs out there, but not specifically for FASD. I mean, there's one that's, um, there's a company called Four Paws for Ability 
And they do train FASD dogs, and they're the only other organization that I'm aware of that does that. But it's like $17,000, and you have to um, go to Ohio for two weeks. And I just know for my family, like, to travel to Ohio for two weeks to learn how to handle this dog would not be be an option for us. And so... Yeah, that's way cool. Animals are amazing. I don't, we have two dogs, but, and they're not trained in any special way, but I do feel like they are healing for my son. You know, when they he are. has a surgery yep. or a seizure, they know something's up and they, they lay do. right by him and give him comfort. And mm. it's pretty cool. So that's, they really are amazing. They are amazing. Yeah. Even, even without being trained, like you said. Yeah. yeah. You have a couple dogs now, right? So you have one that's trained or do you have a couple? So. Now? We, we did have three. We had to um, rehome our little Bernadoodle um, because oh. we moved out to some acreage and she is trying to eat all of our animals. Like we have a little hobby, <laughs> hobby farm and yeah. she, she kept ending up in the pond, you know, at like 1030 at night trying to eat my ducks. And <laughs> so I was just worried that she was going to get eaten by something else in the pond. Um, oh, yeah. All kinds of critters out here. And so we, um, we rehomed her to a, a friend that's around quite a bit and lives around the corner. So we feel good about that. So now we're down to two, the service dog, Lucky. And then we have a, a Connie Corso that's just my husband and my son's dog that they love. And so, yeah. And then we, we have a bunch of little animals on our little hobby farm, um, because animal therapy. Yeah. Could you share a little bit more about that? Because I know that's been part of your kind of, you've used that for awareness as well. Yeah. Yeah. So housing account. Yeah. That's been a really like fun and surprising way to, um, connect with people about this is I, we built our house specifically to make some accommodations for, FASD, um, like locking things up like food. I mean, they can't necessarily (laughs) fill when they're full. And so like if they're up in the middle of the night and I didn't hear them and they're gotten, they've gotten into the pantry, like I could go grocery shopping and everything's eaten by the next day. So, um, we, we did some things like, you know, that have been really helpful for our family. And I had just documented that journey and shared stuff about FASD, um, in the stories on that account. And I've actually had 13 people get diagnosed, um, just from sharing stuff on that account. And to me, that's amazing because that's 13 people who now know what kind of supports they need. And instead of just being like, something's off and we're trying everything and nothing's working kind of a thing. So, um, we have, yeah, we, we moved out, um, to some acreage just because, you know, the animal therapy is a proven, um, method. Most individuals are really good with animals on the spectrum. And even my son that doesn't really like the animals, he does get excited to go out and help with the chores. He does like our bunnies. So he has one set of animals out of all of them that he'll he'll kind of claim as his own. But, um, it's just kind of grounding and therapeutic to like have these, you know, morning and night chores, um, that involve the animals and they're fun and they're funny and, um, I never could have guessed that I would be a little mini farmer, which is basically what we're doing. And we've got a garden and animals and, um, so yeah, my Instagram, um, account for that has brought a lot of awareness and I think to a great population. I mean, women who are decorating homes and having kids and babies, um, you know, it's been really nice to have people reach out and ask questions and it makes me feel like it's worth sharing if people are going to ask questions. 
Yeah. And we'll share that account um, just as we're wrapping up here so that people can go follow you there and with your other accounts too. But yeah, I love that. That's, I love how you said it's grounding to do those kind of chores and be around the animals. I think that's probably so true. And yeah, and it is funny. Like when you said it's funny, my brother lives kind of on a farm and my kids, we don't, we just have two dogs. And so when we go there is like, just their, the, the like personalities of like the chicken and the goat. Yeah. I mean, it is like seriously hilarious. Like we're like, this is so, it's so different from what we're living. Yeah. So we just yeah. love to go there, the horses and just yeah. the interactions with the neighbors. Cause they all have these animals too. And one gets out. I mean, it's just always oh, just like an adventure. I, when we go out there. I still have one. I still have one bunny to catch before the storm hits. I cannot catch. Oh, no. So oh, yeah, God. I mean, it is, it's, we're, we're in a rural community, so it's, you know, definitely been a transition to move from somewhere we really thought we would be a long time. Um, but we're, we're blessed and thankful that we were able to do this because it just gives them a lot more space to run around. And then it gives us more space to do things. And we, we live on a lake, so that is really fun for them to be able to get out on the boat or jet ski or fish and like I said, we just, we don't wow, get out yeah. much. So we're trying oh, to create so a lot of fun here. So yeah, you kind of have your own little vacation home. Yeah. There. Well, yeah. that's what I was thinking yeah. too, where you can't go as much like this. It seems like you have a lot of just like built in entertainment or yeah. Yeah. Options of things to do. And the kids, um, right. have a lot of, you know, different options and I, animals are, are just amazing for kids. So I love that. All right. Well, um, this has been so interesting and informative. I, I'm just like kind of blown away that there's so many diagnoses out there for this a lot higher, um, of a number than I realized. So anyway, I want to learn more about that and more about this training that you mentioned. Um, so yeah, thank you yeah, so it's much. It's been super well, thank you informative and important. Me. We yeah. just want to help people. That's the point. So I'm like, okay, if we can get this out here and people can listen, we hope yeah. there's more like your account that can kind of get a diagnosis and get the help they need. So yeah. Yeah. So the question we usually like to kind of end on is how do you find beauty in life after going through this transition? I feel like it has made me more aware of how beautiful life is. Um, because we celebrate success in a much different way than we probably would have had we not had children with disabilities. Um, so I feel like we, it kind of forces us to kind of celebrate the small things. And so it's really, you know, just been grounding to, you know, look at the beautiful sunset and just realize how, you know, how blessed we are. And even amidst our challenges, um, you know, I, I just think that it's made me more appreciative of the small things because it's really the small things, um, you know, if they're not going great, that can make things feel out of hand. And so we celebrate the smallest wins, you know, and that those are really big actually when, when they seem small to the rest of the world, but to us, they're really big wins, um, for our children and for our family. And so, um, I feel like it's helped me appreciate life all the more and health, you know, like you often hear people complaining about things and really if you don't have your health and you're not healthy, like you really don't have anything. Um, because I have my own health issues, obviously the lack of sleep and things can affect my health. And so it's just really made me appreciate, you know, that we're able to remain healthy and, um, functioning and things like that. So I 
definitely That's think awesome. that it's been, you know, maybe not at first in the beginning, but as we've, as we've gotten into it a little bit more, I think I've grown to be a little bit more calm and patient and just realize how lucky we are to be the parents of all of our kiddos. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah, we just love talking to you and we felt so grateful that you took the time because we may or may not have made that clear in the beginning of the interview, but Lindsay's in the middle of a hurricane (laughs) or almost in Florida. Florida. So she was awesome to still, um, meet with us after getting her farm in order. Right. (laughs) And we know you need to go catch your bunny. So, (laughs) but, um, okay. So we wanted to mention your accounts. So, um, sure. Thank you. Um, FASD for fighters is, um, there's a website, fasdforfighters.org. If you're okay. interested in donating or applying for a service dog. And there's an Instagram account that goes with that as well. Just FASD for fighters. And then my um, housing account and some of the things that we've done to kind of, you know, um, accommodate the special needs in our home is uh, at Wild on Whipperwool. And so... Okay. That's the, yeah. that's the name of the lake we live on. So that's kind of how that name came about. So, and we're definitely, it's a, it's a type of bird. Um, and it's oh, definitely, cool. it's definitely wild with us now in the area. So oh, wow. um, I love that. And I've been following that and I love seeing your home and all that you've done. And, and yeah, it's you, um, kind of sprinkling things about, you know, the awareness work that you're doing and stuff. So it's just, it's a really fun account to follow. And I'll follow the fur fighters when I didn't actually realize that you had an account for that. So that's awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. And good luck with the storm. And yeah, you you guys are all safe and not too much damage. We are prepared. So we will, we're, you know, just more worried about everyone else closer to the coast than us. So yeah, 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 that's a little more scary. Yeah. My brother-in-law, yeah, I was saying that he had to evacuate went down to his other brother's house in um weston so oh wow because tampa was evacuated so yep okay we appreciate it so much it was super nice to meet you thank you guys thanks so much for listening today we hope you enjoyed this conversation and would love if you subscribe to the podcast and followed along as we continued hearing more inspiring stories you can also follow us on instagram at beautiful shifts podcast where we will post updates with our latest interviews We'd like to thank the band We the Lion for giving us permission to use their song, Move Along. Take care, everyone. Until next time. I find a way to know myself All my thoughts are mine again And begin to understand where to go Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own Feel the strength right in my bones All I want is to believe Life is my own Life Start again, the mind is free now 
take a chance, I won't be wrong Now it's time to move along Now it's time to move along Take this journey as my own I feel the strength 